Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Thursday, and we have horrible football tonight. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like the worst possible, possible game you could have ever hoped for on Thursday Night Football tonight. The Broncos and Jets. Ugh. Don't you say that, Ari. It was not four weeks ago that we were begging for any type of football to be played on our television screens. Please don't tell me. Yeah, but that Just was before four football. weeks See, into now, that. Now I've been engorged with football. It's I don't been care if half the league's injured. Okay, it does not matter. It this matters. Is still NFL football you are getting to watch, and I'll be damned if I'm going to let you here and su- sit here and sully its good name just because it's the Broncos and Jets. Yes, it's a horrible matchup, but it's watch football. It? You going to watch it? I'll have it on in the background. <laughs> This just goes back to what I've always said about the NFL, which is the, the quote from Zoolander. Um, and that's with uh, Jerry Stiller's character is talking about Mugatu, Jacobi Mugatu. And he says, Mugatu is so hot right now, he could defecate into aluminum foil, wrap it up, put fish hooks on it, and sell it to the queen of earrings. Because that's what the NFL is doing to us for Thursday Night Football. They are, they are <laughs> taking a crap <laughs> into aluminum foil, wrapping it up, putting fish hooks on it and selling it to the queen as earrings. That's what they're doing with Broncos and Jets on Thursday night football. And I'll buy it. <laughs> Hook, line, and, and sinker. And they're kind enough to give us Troy Aikman, Joe Buck, and Aaron Andrews, too. How about that? <laughs> Indeed. Well, uh, get us the good crew on a Thursday night, and then maybe next week we get a good crew on a Tuesday night. Yeah, two- Are you ready for some football? It's a Tuesday night party doesn't doesn't have the same ring to it if i had my way i'd keep i'd keep hank williams away from it no matter what night it is um but yes it's a great song okay it's it's an iconic song we don't have to know who sings it and how stupid that person is um there is a there is an opportunity now ari for nfl football to be played next tuesday and that is because we have our dun 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 first real case of COVID that has shut down a team facility in Tennessee as three players and five personnel people tested positive for the disease. Not only has their facility been shut down until Saturday, the Titans and Steelers game that was scheduled for Sunday has been postponed. What do we make of this? So the NFL came out today and said that it's going to either be Monday or Tuesday night, which. Why would, would you mean- have it? Why? I mean, I guess I can see to keep things on schedule to have the game Monday night, but if you have the opportunity to take another game into prime time, 
between two three and O teams, mind you. Why wouldn't you do that? You mean to, to stretch it out, and then basically you won't, you you will not have football on Wednesday night of next week, and that's it. Bingo. And by the way, you're not selling the public on Broncos Jets. You're selling them on a battle of two teams that are fighting it out for the top seed in the AFC through three weeks. How are they ready to go for Tuesday but not Sunday? That's my biggest confusion here. I, I don't really get – this is like a, a two-week virus situation here. What well, is two they, days doing? I mean, if the first day they can get to the team facility is Saturday, then you at least, I would think – have to give them the opportunity to practice once if not twice during the week and I think at this point if they had the game on Monday you could only practice Saturday and then Sunday would either be a travel day or a rest day depending on which team is traveling that day and uh yeah I mean, I wouldn't be able to put them out there on Sunday if the first day of the team facility opened was Saturday. You wouldn't even have a practice beforehand. Right. I, I'm One, I'm shocked this is the first time this has happened this season. Three weeks in. Two, this, this is something that, like, in a one-off situation is fine. But holy cow, we get like two, three, four weeks down the road and there's multiple teams that have this. I don't know how they manage that other than stretching the season out. And this is, it's crazy. This is the first time that the NFL schedule has been impacted by COVID. Like literally everything has stayed the same. The NFL draft was the same. Obviously the preseason was canceled, but beyond that, like the schedule stayed the same as they were always laid out. So this is the only, like the first time this actually impacted anything. And not only that, Ari, I mean, we actually mentioned a couple weeks ago at the end of one of our podcasts, round of applause for the boys playing football this season who took this seriously and actually managed an entire round at one point, I believe right before week one of the, of the NFL season, they managed an entire round of over 3,500 players being tested, not one positive COVID test. I just don't but, believe that. I just don't believe it. I don't. Really? <laughs> I don't believe it. Yeah. It cannot be true. Theorist. It can't be true. It, it's, it just, it, it just based on the raw data, there's just the no probabilities way say, yeah, yeah, the probabilities are probably on your side there. I mean, there's how many people involved in the NFL? It's impossible for there to be zero positives. I don't know what they were doing, but there's no way. Zero, zero percent chance. Um, I mean, they've look, they've done a good job keeping it at bay. And they have done an incredible amount of testing. Like there's tier one and tier two and tier three people that are involved with organizations. So it's like they're very much keeping, you know, I think they have a good organizational structure for this whole thing. Um, but hopefully this is a warning to everybody else because I know we said that about Major League Baseball, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, maybe that was just a warning for Major League Baseball. Whereas like the NFL needed it to happen to themselves before NFL players would take it seriously. That's all very true. And I would agree with it. Um, I'm still scratching my head, though, to figure out how this happened in the way that it did. The Titans just came off of a game that they played in Minnesota, and there were not but 250 people allowed based on city ordinances inside that stadium. So how did five personnel people and three players wind up contracting COVID. 
I don't know if we're necessarily going to get that answer, but if I'm playing against the Titans this upcoming week as the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'd be a little concerned about getting on that football field. Granted, I'm sure these guys have prioritized football in their minds to the point that they are steeled away from the idea of COVID or what it could do. You would almost think they would have to be to participate in this season the way that they are. Mm. But then again, you got to shut out a number of things in your life in order to put the focus forward necessary to participate in a, in a single NFL season, much less in a season where you're aspiring for the ultimate goal. So, you know, maybe this is just part of the game for most NFL players. By the way, that's Roy White on Twitter at rw3. I am Ari Temkin on Twitter at Ari Sports. Probably should have done that at the top, but didn't. Classy no move. worries. It's, it's a great move. The classic, just get into the show without introducing yourself or introducing the show. This is blogging. This is broadcasting the boys, part of the Blogging the Boys podcast network. Shout out to the great blog of the boys.com. Should be your homepage for all the latest and greatest news and content on your Dallas Cowboys. Question for you, Roy. Are the Cowboys good are they a good football team? Well, which side of the ball are you asking about? <laughs> the side of both, all three sides, all three phases. So both meaning three. Is this yeah, a the, good team? Are they, are they good? Or is this a good football team? The lump sum at this point of the season, three weeks in, is difficult to fully ascertain. Um, yeah. There are reasons what he's saying is it's tough to know at this point yeah there are reasons to feel good and there are reasons to feel horrible (laughs) there are reasons to feel like it's going to get better and there are actually reasons to feel like it could get a lot worse it could get a lot worse okay so i think they are good i think it's a good football team um there there's a concern i think their their biggest they've had a couple of big issues um Number one is, is turnovers. Have you heard that one before with the Cowboys? They just can't seem to figure out a way to manufacture turnovers. Have you heard that before? I have heard that. <laughs> it's, I don't it's know weird. where. New uh, coaching staff, some new players, and still the same issue. Still can't create turnovers. Still cannot, for whatever reason, maybe it's something in the water in DFW. I don't know. But this, this organization has just toiled in the inability to create turnovers. I also, I don't have the numbers in front of me, and I was trying to look for this number, and I couldn't find the exact place to find it. But it just seems like the Cowboys are always in horrible field position. Like, their special teams this year um, is at times okay and good, obviously. The onside kick a couple of weeks ago, but then there's other times where it's like, especially in their kick return game where they're consistent. Like I bet you they're starting field positions less than the 25 yard line. And what that says to me is it's like, take your 20, take the 25 because you get that on a touchback. And yet they have Tony Pollard. And I mean, at this point, just Tony Pollard returning kicks and continually taking out of the end zone and continually not getting to the 25. Well, Ari, uh, I was able to find that statistic very quickly. And <laughs> it is weeks. Indeed- I couldn't find it. It is indeed true. The Cowboys average 
starting field position in 2020 has been right in front of the 23-yard line. Wow. Only Minnesota and the New York Jets have had worse starting field position on average than the Dallas Cowboys. Reminder, they give you the 25. You get the 25 for free. That you do do nothing and you get the twenty five, and the Cowboys are a yard shy of that. <laughs> just take the twenty five, for the love of God, just take the twenty five. <laughs> well, I think we won't have to worry about that going forward. There's a new return man in town. Don't know if you saw him. His name's CD, and he's not giving this thing up going forward. Really? If it's up to me, now I know he took a hell of a shot. Right? Yeah. This is not the week to be. <laughs> to be talking about CeeDee Lamb returning kicks when he got in hit the hurt. early going. And uh, I believe some people thought he actually left the game for a little bit as a result of that. I don't remember them saying anything on the broadcast, and I didn't recall right. seeing anything in the post game relative to that. But nope. I did look at the snap numbers at the end of the game, and I was surprised to see that CeeDee did only wind up playing on about 75% of the team's snaps, whereas Amari Cooper played close to 100, and Michael Gallup played just under 100, I think 96% of the snaps or something to that effect. So that was one part that I looked at and and still think to myself, this is your – I believe right now CeeDee Lamb is your most talented receiver. Amari Cooper may be your best route runner. Uh, Michael Gallup may be – the most underrated wide receiver that perhaps teams are overlooking and you're able to take advantage of from a matchup standpoint, but the most talented receiver on your team right now in September, as we start October in 2020 is CD lamb. I believe that. And I think they need to make sure that he's on the field just a little bit more, even than he was. And if that means more opportunities like kick returns, in addition to punt returns, I want to see it. I want to see it. What's, I'm not about this preservation game. And I understand it for some guys, maybe for the offensive line. And we'll talk about Lyle Collins here in a second. Uh, maybe preservation is something we need to consider. But for a young buck like CD Lamb, who has all the juice in the world, uh, a talented stallion of a player that I think is already ready to ascend to the upper echelons of the NFL's wide receivers, let the man spread his wings. What's who's number one in the league in, in starting field position, and what 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 where are they? Uh, Indianapolis is actually leading the league, and their average starting field position is the thirty-five yard line. Damn, that's great. That's ten yards above. Like I'm just at the point right now where it's like just put somebody back there who's taking a knee and get me the twenty-five. Like that's I'm at that point in time where it's like I don't even care about the potential of getting better field position? You don't really even need to catch it. you just got to corral it <laughs> and fall on it. Right. Behind or, the line that or signifies or where it, the end zone begins. If it's begins. kicked into the end zone, it, you don't even have to touch it. It just, boom, dead there, go. Yeah. Okay, so I think I have an answer to your question on are the Cowboys good. I think your answer was, I don't know, which is a, it's a very fair answer. I do think the Cowboys are good, but I, I also am not sure, like you. Um, are the, are the Browns better than the Cowboys? The Cleveland Browns come to town, Baker Mayfield with his former college teammate, CeeDee Lamb at Oklahoma. Um, it is a 12 kick pregame show on 105.3 The Fan. 
with myself and Brian Broder starts at 9 a.m. Are the Browns better than the Cowboys? Right now, where we sit, if I looked at the sum of their parts versus the sum of ours, I would probably, on paper, like my chances better with the Cleveland Browns. What? Because they're a little bit healthier than the Dallas Cowboys are. They have a better defensive line, perhaps one of the best pass rushers in the league in Miles Garrett, right? They have a better offensive line right now because of the uncertain health status of both Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins. And hell, for that matter, I mean, Chilooney did was able to return, but I mean, where's Connor Williams been at? Is it a health thing? Is it a suck thing? I'm not sure of the answer to that. We'll get to all that in, uh, in a minute. Um, I'll take I'll take the Cowboys wide receivers. Uh, I think the running back game is a wash. I actually think Nick Chubb might be better because it doesn't look like Zeke Elliott is able to help you in the passing game that significantly. At least through three games, they've tried to force the ball to Zeke, and whether his hands haven't been able to bring it in, whether the play call in the situation has been a bad decision, and I think a number of those instances has happened. They called screenplays several times last week against Seattle where I thought they were just playing right into the hands of what Seattle wanted them to do. So I won't put it all on Zeke, but it's a toss-up between Zeke and Chubb. Yeah. So they got the better O-line. They got the better D-line. We have the better wide receivers, I would agree, though theirs are not slouches. They have the better tight end situation in both Austin Hooper and David Njoku, right? You would have to agree they have the better defense overall because – I don't even know. Like, look I, at I us. would take Chubb over Zeke. I would take their receivers over, over the Cowboys. They might have okay. – I mean, So all of that is where I say, on paper, I would rather have Cleveland. However, I'll ride with Dak over Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And I'll say that about Dak relative to almost any other quarterback in the league outside of Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes. And maybe what Aaron Rodgers is turning himself into right now, which is like 2013, 2014 Aaron Rodgers, the stud Aaron Rodgers that we all remember. Um, Dak Prescott there might be a few be the guy that makes the difference of this whole thing. Say again? There might be a few other guys that take over him at this point, but, but it's, that's a moot point. I, I think you're right overall. He's a better quarterback than, than Baker. Terrence Watson, uh, who wrote about the Browns at, over at blogoftheboys.com, go check out his preview. Um, he noted that the Browns have given up in their secondary 761 yards through the air and eight touchdowns in three games. Give it up nearly 800 yards passing and eight touchdowns. So didn't we just do five in one game? Yes. Yeah. And we just do three to six, one player well, in actually, one half. Six, six, but it was poked out of the back of the end zone somehow. Yeah. Somewhere. Oh, oh, yeah. Forgot about the sixth. Forgot about the sixth. But we got a turnover off of. By the way, those turnovers that you love so much doesn't even really feel like a turnover though when it goes out of the back of the end zone. I'm not, I'm not here to argue. And then that you they, start at your own twenty. I'm not here okay. to argue the Cowboys have a good secondary. What I'm simply saying is kind of like last week and kind of like the week before that. They're going up against teams that that should be had in their passing game. So this is a game that and and then you look at the the Browns offense and it kind of comes down to can the Cowboys outscore the Browns? And I think yes, absolutely. I don't think the Browns have the type of offense that the Cowboys have. 
Uh, they might have better players in some ways, but I don't think they have the offense. And the why is, is that? Is, There's really only one – well, I suppose not one person that makes the difference there. But when you consider how bad the Cowboys' offensive line is in their current state, and then you consider that Baker still has Odell Beckham, he still has Jarvis Landry, who, who is a player who came off three straight seasons of 100 catches, you know, uh, had set the NFL record for the most catches for any player in his first three seasons. But he's still got a, a talented talented group of wide receivers to work with. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I mean, he just hasn't been very good this year. You know, I mean, he's, he's only completing 62% of his passes, so he's got a low completion percentage. 564 yards and five touchdowns in three games. Um, in terms of his rushing, you know, normally get a little bit of rushing with Baker. I mean, not much. No touchdowns added, no, no yards. So, I mean, I think, I mean, they have a good offensive line. It's an okay offensive line. They have good receivers. They have a good running game. Like, they've got a lot of pieces. You mentioned offense. It just, I think at this point, you just aren't seeing great play out of, out of Baker Mayfield at this point. Now, he is on his third offensive coordinator in three years. And Kitchens did call the plays last year, but I, I think Monken was influential too. So it's like, all right, you're – I mean, it's, a, it's the Browns. They, they hire new coaches every year. So you're going to get that when you play for the Browns. You're just going to consistently get changing of coordinators and, and coaches. So um, and the other thing too with the Browns is they've kind of played the opposite schedule as the Cowboys where they played – one good team and two bad teams, whereas the Cowboys have played, I think, one bad team and two good teams. Mm-hmm. They, they feasted and beat the Bengals 35-30 and then, you know, and then another high-scoring affair against the Washington football team um, that they won. And then they lost to Baltimore in a game that wasn't even close to start the season, 38-6. to They got smoked. They got smoked. Now they they got smoked, some- which is why this game is such a – I mean, I – It'll be telling for both teams. Do you think you think Cleveland's better than the, the Cowboys right now? Um, again, I said when I said on paper, I'm referring specifically to what the Cowboys look like at this moment. Yeah. Without Lyle Collins, without Tyron Smith, with a patchwork defensive line that doesn't include Tank Lawrence at this moment, um, that really only has one player who any of us would agree is playing above his head and that's Alden Smith. Mm. Alden Smith has been fantastic. Yes. Not only is he competing for comeback player of the year, which he may sew up by mid season, but he's actually in the conversation for defensive player of the year, leading the league in sacks through three weeks with four of them. And he's been an absolute stud. I guess I would amend that statement. I just made by saying that I think Trayvon Diggs is also playing a bit above his head at the moment based on what was probably going to be expected of him. I don't think any of us, even though we thought he could ascend 
to the top of the depth chart at the beginning of the season. I don't think any of us thought that he would be thrust into that position almost from the jump and wanted it (laughs) and be forced to stay in that position. I don't think Um, any of us wanted it either. Yeah, of course teams are going to target a player in that position. And look, they took advantage. I mean, they had a touchdown to DK Metcalf were it not for a great never say die play by him to get back and function out. And I don't know if you noticed later in the game, but there was a play late in the game where the tight end for Seattle Hollister actually caught a ball and was running upfield and Diggs, while making the tackle in front of him, tried to knock the ball out again, gave that punch to try to knock the ball out again. He didn't get it, obviously, but it's the type of play that just made my eyes widen a little bit to say, yeah, that's the type of, that's the type of dog that I want. That's the type yeah. of play that I want from my defensive back, not only to get in there and make the tackle and not be afraid of it, but to also try to make a play on the ball. Yeah. Not. We, we kind of started talking about turnovers and how, you know, piss poor the Cowboys have been historically of late at turning the ball over. Trayvon Diggs is the type of guy that, like, you need more players like that, opportunistic players that look for opportunities to do that kind of stuff. Trayvon Diggs is going to be a ball player. He's, he is, he's going to take his lumps. He's just in a tough spot. I mean, you're, you're basically the number one corner as a rookie who's, you know, only been playing corner for, like, a couple of years. So it's like, good luck. Go get him. <laughs> um, okay, so you mentioned a few of the guys in the injury reports. So let's just run through that real quick. Uh, for practice today, DeMarcus Lawrence and Tyron Smith both did not practice. If you recall last week, uh, DeMarcus Lawrence didn't practice until Friday. They participated in their walkthrough and still played. Tyron Smith did not. Um, Trayvon Diggs was also on the, the, pra- the injury report, but he did practice today. Uh, but he's dealing with a couple of things. Um, we did also get an update from Jane Slater on the situation with Lyle Collins, who is eligible to come off IR this week, but it doesn't look like that's going to be happening. Stephen Jones even uh, kind of said the same thing on, on 105 through the fan as well. Yeah, that's getting bad, man. That's getting awful. The I'm going to paraphrase Jane's tweet here because I don't have it right up in front of me, but she essentially said that if it, if it were week 10 and the Cowboys were – Oh, and eight surgery would be something they would be considering at this point in time. So that means if they had six weeks left of the season, even if they were, Oh, I don't know how they would be. Oh, and eight in week 10, I guess by week. And then they're just about to start week 10. So that makes sense. Um, they're oh and eight just before week 10. You're really telling me he would get surgery to sacrifice an entire second half of a season of, progression of improving the way he plays he is still a a young player yes he's in his sixth year but he's still a young player to read that he would potentially have surgery in that circumstance and to hear all the things that keep coming out about him uh i have very little confidence that we're going to see lyle collins anytime soon i have next to zero confidence we're going to see a game this season where both Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins suit up to start it. And that's not something I would have considered saying at the beginning of the season. And at this point, man, the fragility of the Cowboys offensive line, it's enough to make you sad. (laughs) It just makes you sad. I just pictured you like in the corner curled up with like a bottle of scotch i mean think about how we've spoken about tyron smith for the past several years now we're going to be doing that with lyle collins too 
because not what stemmed from the car accident that you and I spoke of off the air, right? Is the neck injury that he potentially had from a car accident. No, Slater's tweeting about his hip saying that the grind of NFL practices might be too much for his hip to take. And I'm thinking to myself, the grind of NFL practices in the least grindiest right. off season we've right. ever seen and, and of in the COVID? least grindiest era of yeah, like NFL this is, football. I mean, this isn't sandpaper. We're like rubbing a couple feathers together on this guy's hip. Well, and, and I, don't, I don't get this like, well, if it were later in the season, he'd have hip surgery. What that says to me is Lyle Collins has to have hip surgery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like whether that's today, that, tomorrow, that's or the what next that week. Says. That's what that says. That says Lyle Collins needs hip surgery. Now or later, if there's something still on the line, then maybe he's not going to get it right now because there's something to fight for. But the minute there's not, yeah, he's going under the knife. That, sorry, right, you're exactly right. That's what that says. So okay, so you are somehow though optimistic about the the, the Cowboys' offensive line. So you, okay, you so set up all of this. You set up all of this to say you actually are optimistic about the Cowboys' offensive line. So I'm I'm very curious for where you're going with this because you've just give you've just force fed me doom and gloom on the offensive line. Okay, now that was doom and gloom about I suppose what the plan and what the hope has been about what the Cowboys' offensive line would be. Okay, yeah. we may yeah. never see what we all hoped we would see when, let's be honest, they have three pro bowlers on this roster a season ago mm. in Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, and Tyron Smith. In and fact, Lyle Collins might have been their best offensive lineman last year. That's the funniest part. The year before, when Travis, the year before Travis announced that he had Guillain Barr syndrome, and obviously, Guillain Barr. Yeah, I don't ever quite know how to say it correctly, so I apologize for that um, to anybody out there keeping score. But that offensive line and what we dreamed it could be the year before that, it never really manifested itself anything close to what it was that season. And ever since, it's not just been chipping. It's not just been chipping away, Ari. I mean, this is the leaning tower of Dallas barely standing that's what we're dealing with here when it comes to the cowboys offensive line and it is taking shot after shot after shot massive chunks are falling all over the place the elevator shaft has crumbled on the inside but it's still barely standing okay and the beauty of that is it's ours okay it's our it's our crummy building all right, it's our barely standing. This is your optimism piece. Our, our building might all, be leaning, but it's here's ours. where I'm going, and it's all being supported by the only thing you need to give you any hope at all. Dak, mother effing Prescott. <laughs> when you think of what he did against Seattle, and I understand some people will point to, well, he turned the ball over three times. He didn't possibly match Russell Wilson's gameplay. Well, I suppose that's true. Only the interception that he threw when the pocket absolutely collapsed on him is hard to blame on him when it collapsed in about two seconds. Yeah. And the fumble, that fumble to open the half was not on him. The interception before the half was definitely on him. The fumble to open the half, not on him. Agreed. And then the interception to end the game, what do you want him to do? Right. No, 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 for sure. Not take a shot? 
that doesn't count as an interception to me in this, from the standpoint of how it swings a game. That was a do-or-die play. He either did it or he didn't. If it was an interception or it was knocked down, it was the same result on that particular play. Agreed. So Agreed. I say all that to say Dak Prescott still had you within that throw of competing with what may be the best team in the NFC with a patchwork offensive line that saw three different positions be affected within that game and still were able to maneuver themselves around just enough for Dak to be able to do his thing. So I'm, a, I'm optimistic despite the Lyle Collins situation. And by the way, Stephen Jones talked about Tyron Smith saying he's closer. You know, he, he, you know, they thought he could be ready for next week, last week, and he wasn't, and maybe he's this week, whatever. One but to ten, I, what do you believe of that? Um, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I kind of believe it, but I also um, – I'm optimistic. I think he'll be back in the next couple of weeks. What is the next couple of weeks? He's saying – he's thinking he might be back this weekend. I'm asking you the legitimacy from one to ten of him being back this weekend. I mean, I, I – I can't give you, I mean, I'm not there, unfortunately. I, you know, normally I'd be there and I'd have a better understanding of it, but. I am about to salt you like a snail. Don't you dare try to sidestep me. You tell me the number between <laughs> one and 10, your confidence level. Nine. That you think what Stephen Jones, you're, you're at a nine with what Steve, I'm at a two. Two? With Stephen Jones telling us anything about where the Cowboys stand from an injury standpoint. I don't, specifically involving I don't believe Stephen Jones. I just think that Tyron Smith is close to coming back, and I wouldn't be surprised if it were this week. Okay. So, but let me, let, me, let me tell you why I'm optimistic about the offensive line. When Zach Barton went into right tackle, I didn't know that they could do that. <laughs> That's how bad this coaching staff has been for so long. Like, I, I didn't understand. I was like, oh, yeah, they can do that. They're allowed to do that. Like, that's within the rules. They can shift a really good player from one position to another position. Oh, oh Zach Martin could be a pro bowler at any of the five positions we wanted like, him to be? Okay, like let's decide this the time. most important one and play him at that one if we don't have it figured out. Yeah. It's, what a great co- – and it's funny because it's like, it, in some ways it praises Mike McCarthy, but it shouldn't because it's a pretty basic thing to do. But my mind was blown. I was like, oh, yeah, he is good, and tackle is more important than guard. Like, this all makes total sense to me. I don't know why it took Jason Garrett so long to do that because he never did it, but he certainly had opportunities to do it because he had opportunities with injuries. I'm thinking of the Falcons game. That stands out. Adrian Claiborne plays for Cleveland now, by the way. So hopefully this won't happen again. But the ability to make an adjustment within a game, my God, what a breath of fresh air. I mean, Three adjustments on the offensive line alone. Within the game, by the way. In the middle of the game, I didn't know that was legal. I thought you had to wait between weeks to do it. It's like a re-rack and beer pong. You have to wait between turns. Well, I will say one position in particular, though, that deserves a head nod there is, is Biotish, the rookie coming in, yep. because the center is the one often, although perhaps not in this situation. I, I hadn't really even thought about it until just this moment. But I thought to myself, well, the center would be the one having to communicate the protections to the rest of the offensive line. It may be quiet enough inside these stadiums that yeah. they could pick any of the five guys along the offensive line and have them make 
the protection call. No, that's true. I, I would think you'd still want him to because, I mean, if you're developing him into a center, you want him to be able to do that. But you're right. You're absolutely right. Normally, it's because of crowd noise. So it, it's basically like the quarterback tells the center and then he tells everybody else. Well, and Looney did return also as well and then play a little guard. And so that may have been his responsibility. I don't know. I, I'd be interested to know if anybody in the media has asked that question about mm-hmm. how that communication changes when that takes place. But, uh, but yeah, credit to the Cowboys offensive line. And that's why, and really to Joe Philbin, their offensive line coach, uh, to the, to, uh, to McCarthy for being willing to do it. And yeah, to the entire coaching staff, like that is another aspect where I believe we've been able to take away some optimism from the decisions that have been made. Yeah. You know, and, and we took a call in the postgame show, like, is this coach any better than Jason Garrett? And it's like, yeah. Like, the record might be one and two, but that shouldn't be an indication of this coach isn't better than Jason Garrett. Like, let the, the, the Zach Martin move, just that singular move, take your best offensive lineman and move him to a really important position that is not solidified at right tackle. Like, that move and that move alone tells me, yes, he, this is like night and day. And that just shows you how far be, uh, you know, behind the eight ball the Cowboys were under Jason Garrett. I mean, again, it shouldn't be celebrated that McCarthy made that move, but it is because of how bad the Cowboys have been on the J- under Jason Garrett in terms of doing stuff like that, making adjustments. I mean, it, it's just, it's incredible to me. And, you know, and, and so, yeah, I, I, like, is Mike McCarthy a perfect coach? No, but like that and other things that we've seen throughout the course of the season give you a pretty good indication that he's got a good plan and he's got, you know, he, he understands what he's doing way more so than the predecessor that he had, the boy genius that was with the Cowboys for 10 years. Um, that's now wreaking havoc on the New York Giants organizations, thankfully. Well, here's the last thing I want to say about this, and it's more pointed at Dak Prescott. Dak had a great game. He wasn't the reason they lost. However, not the final drive of the game, but the, the drive before, the second-to-last drive. He had an opportunity to win the game, and he didn't. Russell Wilson did, period. So, I, you know, I look at that game overall and think Dak did have played a great game. And again, he didn't lose them the game. But he had an opportunity to win them the game, and he didn't. And Russell Wilson did. And that's, you know, that is, that's something. It's not nothing. I mean, okay, it's something. How much of a something is it? Okay. Because the last time these two teams met, Russ had a chance to win the game and didn't. And Dak won it. So, I mean, I suppose if you want to go to their all-time head-to-head matchup, Russ has three. Dak one and as one is the playoff. I look, I don't, I haven't committed that game to memory like I have the one from the other day because it was so top of mind. But I'm just saying, like, they both had a possession to win the game down the stretch, and one guy did, and the other guy didn't. One guy settled for a field goal, and the other guy, the other guy threw a touchdown pass. And like, we can add any other context that we want. Play calling wasn't great, stalled out yeah, here, and that particular drive, like, those throws to Gallup were bad. Uh, the throws down the me, side. Look, this isn't me saying they're bad throws. All I'm simply saying is I'll say it. he had I'll the opportunity to win the game and he didn't, and Russell I'll say Wilson it. did. Look, he, he threw two balls that were uncatchable. They were out of bounds. They were up the sideline. They were out of bounds. They were not in a position where the, the receiver could have brought the ball in. 
and got his feet down. They were not great throws in those positions. And I'm sure Dak would tell you the same thing. And, and p- part of it's play calling. But again, I don't, we don't need to play the context game because I just, I just think sometimes football can be that simple at times. And again, it's not, this is not Dak's horrible. And he threw 472 yards and he had 57 pass attempts. But it, it's like over the course of the season, these are the games to watch for and, and to note, like, you know, that how many times will he do that versus how many times will he be successful? And I hope obviously there's more times than not. I believe he will, but in this case, you know, in this case, in this case, the Cowboys had a chance to win the game. And that's the most disappointing part is it's like, nobody expects them to win and they made so many mistakes, but you still feel like you feel, I felt bad at the game because it's like, yeah, but they were in position to win and that they, they should have won. And that, you know, even though with all the thing, other things we talk about, they were still in position to win the game and they didn't. Mm -hmm. That's just disheartening. Well, I don't disagree with you. And relative to the throw, I can say the exact same thing. He had to make the throw, and he didn't. What really sucks is you go back to week one, and he did make that throw. He made that play. Only a referee decided to get involved in the game based on a Jalen Ramsey flop and took it away from him and took that opportunity for him. We, as a fan base, I believe, the Cowboys fan base, would be thinking a lot differently about this team if they were 2-1 and one and their only loss was to Russell Wilson versus being 1-2 no and two and now having lost to both the Rams and Russ in the way that they did. And so this is why is- this weekend is so pivotal. Yeah. This weekend, you lose to the Browns and there isn't really much more of a conversation about how good you are. It's a question of, okay, what do we need to do to fix all the things that are clearly wrong here? Mm-hmm. And, look, and if you beat the Browns, you're two and two. You're probably in charge of the division. I assume the Washington football team loses this weekend. And you're massively in the driver's seat at two and two. It's uh, it's a pivotal weekend, without question. I'm a firm believer in you judge an NFL season by quarters. So this will be the end of the first quarter of the season after they play Cleveland. So we'll have a, I think we'll have a pretty good idea. That's a that's four game sample of what this team is. So we'll we'll know after this game. All right, this this offense is great. This defense is horrible. At least for the first quarter of the season, we think that's the case. Well, I think we know that about the defense. Uh, <laughs> The Probably. jury, that, this is the funny thing. The jury from the fan bo- base s- seems to still be out about the offense, despite the fact, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they're averaging more than 30 a game through three games so far. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. Like, people are critical of Kellen Moore. It's like, look, is the play calling great? No, but I don't care how they get there. You get to 40 points, you get to 35 points. Like, I don't care how you get there. You know, like, I. I also second guess the play calling too, but I mean, if you're scoring 40 points, like people are second guessing the play calling when they scored 40 against Atlanta. It's like they put 40 points up. What, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. And play I get calling, it. I know some, and I know some nerd's going to tweet me and be like, they're not averaging 30 points a game. So we 29 points a game. Okay. Is that what it is? All right. I get it, dude. You can do math. Is that what cool. it is? Is that what it is? I haven't looked at it. Yeah, up. that is actually uh, points I mean, I'm just doing the math right in front of me, right? So 57 plus 31, 89, and 90 is what they would need. 
yeah. to be averaging yeah. 30 points through three games. Yeah, they're a point under 30 points through three games. You got me. You got now, me. Now the, the hard pill to swallow. They've You're breaking 90, my balls. They've given 97 points up. Also that. That's Roy White on Twitter at rdub3. I am Ari I told Tepkin. you we were sure about the defense. <laughs> I am on Twitter at Ari Tepkin, at Ari Sports. I am Ari Tepkin. I'm confused. This, of course, <laughs> is broadcast to the boys, the blog of the boys network. Make sure to hit subscribe if you have not yet already. Uh, give the, the podcast a rating because it helps other Cowboys fans find us as well. But for now, Roy, say goodbye to the people. Hey, early voting around the country more than likely begins within the next week. I don't care who you vote for. Okay, I really don't. I mean, I, I do. All right, I, I care. But for the process, for our democracy, please, for God's sakes, just let your voice be heard. Just go out there, get to the polls, do the early voting thing, find out where you're registered, find out where you need to go, do your research ahead of time, and involve yourself in the best damn process this world has ever known. Okay, the, the American democratic process—such a great process. Even though those of us that live in Texas don't really have a vote, <laughs> it's such a great process. Don't quit on us, sorry. <laughs> I just vote for quit people on. whose names I think are funny. That's what I do. You do you want me voting? <laughs> you want me voting for funny named people? Look, brother, whatever gets you to the polls, my man. <laughs> We had 108 million people that didn't participate in the last election, okay? The person who won got 62 million votes. What does that tell you? It tells you if you live in Ohio or Florida, vote. <laughs> <laughs> Swing states, get your ass to the polls. Get your ass to the polls. All of us will go and our vote, our vote will count. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll throw our vote away down here in Texas, y'all. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.